and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Fretzelmania podcast, reviewing and rebooking the best and worst in pro wrestling. Grab your egos and join me in the Upside Down. We're going to take down a demigorgon. It's episode 11. And I just had to get a Stranger Things pun in there because that show is amazing. And I can't wait for season three. What's next for the Upside Down? Who knows? I'm your host, Mr. Fretz. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Legendary JF. You can find me occasionally blogging about wrestling on rantwithant.com, be the brand. And this podcast can be found on Google Play, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Breaker, and many, many other platforms, including here on anchor.fm slash fretzelmania. That's F-R-E-T-Z-L-E mania. Today I am talking about WrestleMania X8. Now this took place in my neck of the woods, up here in Ontario, Canada, in Toronto. Uh, now, I'm not from Toronto, I wasn't born in Toronto, but I was from close to the area. Basically everyone who was born in southern Ontario just says they're either from Toronto or Windsor. You know, Just ask Bobby Roode, is from Peterborough, uh, Christian is from Kitchener, Edge is from Orangeville, and me? I was born in Lindsay, Ontario, raised in Cannington. Now I live on the Grey Bruce Peninsula. So, geography out of the way. WrestleMania X8. T-Dot, the six. Uh, this was an event I tried so hard to get tickets for. I entered every contest I could on the radio. I... Went to WWE.com regularly just to see if there was anything available. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a job at this point in time. I was just an 18-year-old kid in high school, you know, in 12th grade, obsessed with pro wrestling. And because finally there's there's a big event in Toronto. You know, I never got to go to Monday Night Raw in Toronto. I never got to go to any pay-per-views held there. I never got to go to like um was it breakdown in your house in in 98 that was it that was in Hamilton which is you know further outside of Toronto uh nothing so i didn't get to go and this is something i really wanted to do for my girlfriend at the time because this event actually fell on her birthday and i'm glad that I didn't get to go, and she didn't get to go, because uh, we had broken up uh, just a couple of weeks before this show. That would have been hella awkward. So my teacher, uh, Miss Savage, who was like one of our gym teachers at, at Brock High School, give shout out to Brock Go Bulldogs, um, she got to go, and she rubbed it in my face anytime she could. Now I'm just going to talk about Toronto here. Uh, this city has had its share of iconic moments. You know, e even ones way back in the day with guys like Gene Kaninsky and The Beast, who was actually the grandfather of a friend of mine. Um, like Gene Kaninsky and The Beast and and so forth. But we've had so many iconic wrestling moments in, in T.O. We had Hogan versus Warrior at WrestleMania six. We had DIY, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano finally winning the NXT tag titles in that iconic three-team elimination match where they tapped out the Revival who were, you know, holding hands and tapping at the same time. Ah, oh, man, friendship goals. Uh, 
Edge won his first Intercontinental title here on a house show against Jeff Jarrett in 99. Of course, because it, it was a, I think it was a mistake because who Jeff Jarrett was originally supposed to face, um, who, who I forget, I think it was Blackman or something like that, couldn't make it. So out comes Edge, wins the title, but he loses it, you know, two days later at Fully Loaded 99. I guess just to pop the hometown ground and surprise them. Um, Goldberg's squashing Brock Lesnar. You know, and a lot of my wrestling friends were there, like, uh, you know, Danny, Danny Death Machine Nolan was there. I believe Slack was there. Fuck you, Slack. Um, Hogan versus The Rock took place here. And this is what I'm going to be talking about today. So, as I said, you know, I grew up about two hours northeast of the city. I never got to go to the big shows there. And me today, I don't go to them today because I don't have a car. And I am not good on 400 series highways. That's like I-90 whatever highways for your, for you Americans. And I couldn't get tickets to this, so I thought, okay, Dave's Basement it is. And those those of you who know about you know me and my buddy Dave's Basement, you know all two of you, um, know that I lot watched a lot of events at at this buddy's house. He was out of town. Okay, can you tape it for me? Oh, the satellite went down. So then a friend of mine managed to get a replay for me on Tuesday back when, you know, you can get the Tuesday night pay-per-view replays. Finally got to watch it, sit down that night, and enjoy it. So now, live from the Skydome that I refuse to call anything else because it's not the Rogers Center. Welcome to the always construction capital of Ontario, Toronto. Now, I wanted to touch on this Sunday night heat match quickly because we had Rikishi, Scotty Tuhati, and the hip-hop hippo, Albert, against Lance Storm, Mr. Perfect, and Test. Uh, Test being from nearby Oshawa, Ontario. Uh, I just wanted to cover this because of the oddity of it. Like, Albert being like the dancing baby face, the hip-hop hippo, uh, because, well, Grandmaster Sexay was released, and Rikishi went down with a shoulder injury, and somewhere in in there, I think even during the Alliance, uh, yeah, the, the invasion, the Alliance feud, Albert started teaming with Scotty for some reason. Now, Keish per- pinned Mr. Perfect with a bonsai, then they danced after her. Oh, and uh, Jacqueline was the referee. Remember when she was a ref? I totally forgot about that. And yes, she did dance with him afterwards. Quite uh, impressively and nicely, I may I may add. Now to open the show, we had metal band Saliva opening the show to sing Superstar. And this is a band I l- really liked a lot back in the day. Um, and this is not the only time we see them perform tonight or... In 2002 pay-per-views. So that's a sneak preview of what's to come later in the year. Our opening contest for the Intercontinental Championship is champion William Regal defending against Rob Van Dam. Now, as I said in my review of WrestleMania X7 with good brother Nate the F and Great on the Game Changer podcast, shout out Nate. Um... Him and I are going to be covering WrestleMania 20 this Thursday, uh, so definitely keep keep an eye for that. Um, yeah, as I said in, in, in that review, um, it was kind of a funny, ironic twist that William Regal 
was fighting for the Intercontinental title at X7, and he is the Intercontinental champion here at X8. And we see, you know, Regal playing like the old school heel as of late, you know, with his brass knuckles and just being just, you know, despicable, evil British heel, you know, the big book of British smiles, except they're not smiles because William Regal has like the best frumpy frown, grouchy face ever. Excuse me. So before the match, naturally, Regal had to be patted down and basically strip searched, strip searched. Oh, here's a tongue twister. <clears throat> to ensure he wasn't smuggling any brass knucks because he's just been doing, you know, the, the old 50s, you know, the bruiser or whoever back in the day used to do heels. Old school tactic. Love it. But, you know, like like always, he finds a new spot in the ring or in his attire or an orifice in his body to hide them in. And his amazing heel, you know, theme comes in and just gets all of the heat from the from the Toronto faithful. Regal tries for the Nux early on, but RVD just spin kicks them out of his hand. You know, RVD is getting the big, big pop here. Uh, Ric Flair, um, I'm, ooh, I'm jumping ahead. Regal imitates Ric Flair's begging on the knees spot, and RVD just unloads on him. He goes for a fro- five-star frog splash early, but he misses. Uh, Regal has, you know, several near falls and even nails an awesome half Nelson suplex. And and then somewhere in the match, Regal starts playing pocket pool. Um, seriously, dude, you can't do you can't do that in private. You're you're getting that excited now. I mean, I think any man would have performance anxiety in front of sixty seven thousand people. <clears throat> so. Yeah, he uh, finds his balls, I mean his knucks, and then Brian Hebner disarmed Regal. And while Brian Hebner is distracted or beatboxing or helping Dad, Daddy Earl um, sell bootleg merch, Regal finds another pair of knucks somewhere in the ring or on his body and just clocks RVD with them. And RVD kicks out, thank God. And then finally... Finally, RVD nails the five-star frog splash and wins his first Intercontinental title. This is a great opener that got the crowd hot. RVD was huge and would continue to ride that momentum of, of popularity, of overness for, for, for some time. I think he's if he were to come back today or at like the WrestleMania 35 Battle Royal, he'd still get that huge pop because he is that good. Rob Van Dam. Now backstage, hometown boy, actually from Kitchener, which is an hour outside of the city, Christian is being interviewed. He disowns his hometown of Toronto and says he's moved to Tampa. He vows to be European champion again and humiliate DDP and uh, spoof DDP's gimmick. You know, he, he just said, you know, and that's not a not a bad bad thing. All right. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Gives it like a big shit eating smirk. And next up is the European Championship. Remember that title? Uh Diamond Dallas Page defending against Christian. Now in the nice bit of continuity and a bit of a nice story here. 
Uh, the last time DDP was at WrestleMania was also at the Sky Dome, where he drove Rhythm and Blues, Honky Tonk Man, and Greg Valentine to the ring in a lovely Cadillac. Now he's performing at WrestleMania, and now he's a champ. I think that's just so cool. And then we hear Christian's amazing, At last, you're on your own, theme, and we're on. And I am not sorry for singing that, because that is my absolute favorite theme ever from this from this day. And of course, you'll you'll hear that before this podcast, if any of you haven't turned it off already. <laughs> Hi, Nate. <laughs> so... DDP has been playing this Tony Robbins-esque uh, motivational speaker, and he's been trying to get Kush, Christian on a winning path, trying to get, get his head straight. Pardon me, because Christian, you know, he, he'd lose a match and he'd throw a, throw a tantrum, and DDP would just be like, yo, 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 come on, man. And this match itself was, it was okay, Thankfully, it was quick. It was over fast. Uh, DDP was nearing the end of his career, and you know his injuries were piling up. And I don't think he had discovered yoga yet, or even made up his DDP yoga yet. Uh, but towards the end of the match, we see DDP go for the diamond cutter, and Christian reverses it into his cool falling reverse DDT, and hits a two count. Christian is a, and then. Christian is about to have a tantrum, but Jinder Mahal appears out of a time warp to say, Shanti. Shanti. But really, uh, DDP just ducks, ducks and psychs out Christian to nail the diamond cutter. Bang! Retains the title. And after the match, DDP grabs the mic, cuts a promo, and says, you know, huh, I'm proud of you, bro. Not only did you lose, but you didn't lose your temper. You controlled your anger, even though you lost in front of 67,000 people here on the Sky Dome and bazillions watching at home. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And then Christian throws a temper tantrum. JR calls for a diaper and bottle. And thank God this wasn't a crybaby match because Vince would... Totally do it. Uh, one, two, three, kid versus Razor Ramon, nineteen ninety-six. Yeah, don't look it up. So next we see the Rock and the Coach. Oh yes, here we go. And then the Rock, he asks Coach if he's taken his vitamins and said his prayers today. Well, I took my vitamins, but you know, Coach was too busy and forgot. And he's like, "Dude, come on." The Rock's a busy man, and he can have he has time to say thanks to God. Rock then says, "You know, do you want to see the Coach?" say his prayers. Of course, the crowd eats it up. And then he starts off. What up, Jay? Coach here, I just want to give you a quick shout out. And what in the blue hell is wrong with you? What up, Jay? Get out of here, you sick freak. I've started prayers like that. Um, I have not started. And when, when I was in my preaching days, I did not start like that. But I've started prayers like that. Um. Coach's prayer kind of reminded me of a street talk translation of the Bible called Word on the Street. And yes, that exists. I used to have it. And it starts, it, it's so strange and it's, it's not even actual street lingo that anyone uses. Like in, in the book of Genesis, when God creates the heavens and the earth, it's just like, yo, 
the world, the universe is black, desolate, nothing. Then whap everything into existence. No one says whap. I mean, come on. Not even in the 90s when that thing was probably made. <clears throat> so back to the whole, the rock. You know, Hogan, no. What are you going to do? You got butterflies in your hulk stomach. You got to reach down and see if you still have a hulk strudel. What you going to do when the rock runs wild on you? If you smell. Ah, goosebumps every time, man. Next, we have the Hardcore Championship on life support with Maven defending against, of all people, gold dust. Well, this brings the crowd down. So all the weapons in the match were gold because gold dust puns. And yeah, it's it's nothing. The match is nothing. It's but a bunch of plunder, baby. Then Spike Dudley interferes and wins the title. Okay. And then he is chased by the 24-7 inventor Crash Holly, who I think should have had a spot on this card. <clears throat> and we're done for now. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. So next, Drowning Pool with original singer the late Dave Williams perform their hit Tearing Away from their debut album Sinner. And yes, it's the same one as Bodies. It's a fantastic album, and you know, tragically, um, later that year, Dave Williams would die of heart failure. I think about August 2002, he was found dead in his tour bus, and it was just, uh, it was tragic because I, I really liked Drowning Pool. Um, Tearing Away, I like, I even like it more than Bodies because, well, Bodies is the song everyone knows, it's their most popular, but Tearing Away is just so much better. Now, Drowning Pool would be used in WrestleMania 20 with. With Jason Jones singing, once again, cheap plug, Nate the Efren Great. See you Thursday, WrestleMania 20. <clears throat> Backstage, did a bunch more hardcore plunder, baby, and I have to apologize for my terrible Dust the Road American Dream impression, if you will. So, we see a whole bunch of chaos, you know, classic 24-7 comedy spots, you know, crash throwing Spike into a wall. Gets a near fall. Al Snow borrows Kane's golf cart from X7 and drives into a convenient pile of empty boxes. And Spike manages to escape until the hurricane swings by, literally, and nails Spike to win the title. <laughs> that was good. And then, of course, he whooshes out. Next. We have Kane against the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. Now, this match, I I absolutely, I enjoyed this match, and I, I love Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle was one of my favorites uh, during this time, because uh, he was just such a cocky dork. And the You Suck chants were born not long before this, and you could hear the Sky Dome just raining them down. Uh, you know, even though the roof wasn't open for a Blue Jays game. Yeah, yeah, you get it. Um, Angle said he earned these gold medals and didn't get it by whining and crying like the Canadian figure skaters did at the 2002 o Olympics just previous to this in Salt Lake. False. Kids, your homework tonight is to Google the Jamie Saleh and David Peltier controversy from the 2002 Olympics. Also, Kurt, shut up 
FU, Canada has beat USA for the gold medal in hockey twice, four times, if you, or should I say four times, the men and the women have owned you, 2002-2010, Sydney Crosby, the golden goal. And I am, no, I'm not going to apologize, uh, American listeners, uh, no, no, golden goal, Sydney Crosby, the man. So Angle calls himself the red, white, and blue machine. Um, Kane is American too, dude. What does that make him? You know, and then Kane is just outpowering Angle in every way, gets the advantage, and Angle just surprisingly um, hits a really nice belly-to-belly to suplex on the big man. You know, Kane throws him around a bunch of times, nails a choke slam. Angle grabs the rope to avoid the three count. Kane signals for the tombstone, and but you know, Angle rakes the eyes of the mask, hits an angle slam. Kane kicks out. Kane signals for the tombstone. Oh, wait, no, I just read that again. These are my notes. I'm reading the same line. You know, Angle kicks out. Uh, you know, Angle hits an angle slam. And the kick out. There it is. I'm sorry for flubbing my words here. The straps come down and locks in the ankle lock. JR noting that Angle has made Kane tap before. Yes, during the Alliance feud. Kane reaches the rope. Angle won't let go of the leg. And Kane hits a sick Inseguri. You know, top rope belly to belly by Angle. Angle slam reversal into a choke slam. Choke slam reversal into a roll up with the feet on the ropes. And Angle squeaks out with a win. This is an underrated match for both men. Man, this was good. And backstage, the plunder continues of the hardcore title. The Hurricane wanders into the Godfather's Hose dressing room. Uh, he hides behind this room divider where you can see, like, you know, the shadow of people. Uh, the ladies walk in. One takes off her top, asking if her tits are too big. Hurricane peeks over, shakes his head no. And then he's holding a broom, and it looks like he's... You know, he's a little excited. He's spotted. Godfather grabs the broom behind the divider in the shadow, so it looks like for a second, you know, <coughs> and Godfather chases him out. Um, okay. And next, oh, here we go. We have Taker, the Undertaker, the American badass, versus the nature boy, Ric Flair, no disqualification. <clears throat> Pardon me again. Had to get my tea in me so I can be jacked up for this match. Oh, which I'm going to talk about after this quick non-commercial commercial break. And welcome back. Part two, we are at Ric Flair versus... The Undertaker in a no disqualification match. The build up to this was at no way out. The Undertaker was about to lay out Rock with a lead pipe. Ric Flair, the co owner of the WWE at the time, decides to get involved and take the pipe away, lay out Taker. And then when Taker challenges him to a match, he is denied. And he tells Rick that I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll try to change your mind. So he goes to assault his four horsemen mate, Arn Anderson. And his son, David Flair, who was in developmental training at the time. And after all this chaos, naturally, Rick, Rick accepts. 
And in the midst of this brawl that they were having after after he accepted the match, Nate accidentally hits a fan who was actually Paul London as a plant, and is arrested, charges pressed, etc. And then we are in a board meeting, and since this one doesn't involve Michael Scott, I tuned out. But what I got out of it was is Flair's power is temporarily absolved, and full control and a vote of confidence is given to Vince McMahon, at least until WrestleMania, in which the board will review it afterwards. Um, Of course, we know this leads to the brand split. Vince makes this match no disqualifications. And then we hear, for I think the last time, Roland by Limp Biscuit bringing Undertaker to the ring in his Harley. And whatever edited classics version of this I was watching had Taker's Ministry of Darkness theme played, and I was confused, befuddled, and horrified because Ministry Taker in a Harley? Yeah, yeah. That can get pretty freaky. Um, So we get Ric Flair coming into the ring. He gets a huge pop, and he immediately disrobes and starts jolting to the ring, and they fight around the commentator's desk, and then back in the ring, see Flair is flung in the corner really hard, so hard that he can't do his usual comedy flip and flop, flip and flop. Uh, Nate is kicked out of the ring. He is sat down in a chair, and Flair just unloads fists on him, cueing the blood, or the blade. You know, Taker gets back into the ring, getting the getting the advantage, hitting a Barry Windham-esque superplex in a nice bit of irony because Barry Windham horseman. Taker continues to beat Nate down. He goes for old school, but Ric Flair jerks him off the top rope. Phrasing. The nickname Booger Red is strangely mentioned on commentary, and you know, JR and King are debating, you know, who's Booger Red? That's Taker, but this is the nickname I've heard referred to on OSW Review, on the Attitude Era podcast, Attitude Era podcast, sorry, and I'm confused. Like, what the hell is this? Flair tries to fight back, but he's, you know, he's nailed with a sidewalk slam. Taker gets crotched on the top rope and is chopped. Woo! And in a bit nice of revenge, Flair gets the lead pipe from Taker's bike and cracks him with it. Flair unloads a fury of fists, and Taker responds with a choke. Boom! Low blow. Ha-ha! No DQ. The figure four is locked in, and Taker is screaming. And at some point during this figure four, Taker does his, his setup. He grabs Ric Flair by the neck, and then gets them both up. Nails a choke slam, two count. Taker then nails Mini Nate, referee Charles Robinson, and he gets to grab the pipe. He is flung into the ropes, and then out of nowhere, RKO! Uh, oh, I mean, Arn Anderson appears out of nowhere, lays out Taker with that good old double A spine buster for a two count. He lays Rick. Taker lays out Arn and locks in the dreaded dragon sleeper that beat like three people. Um, you know, Flair hits Taker with a chair. Taker kicks it right back in Flair's face. Uh, he goes for the last ride, but Ric Flair goes limp or he's sandbagging him or something. But no, he turns Rick 
upside down tombstone pile driver and undertaker is 10 and O at wrestlemania he counts on both hands realizes this fact and gives the 10 symbol to the crowd inspiring a young ty dillinger and then taker just abuses charles robinson after the match just because <laughs> uh, i miss heel taker i loved it Backstage, Booker T is wearing glasses for some reason and is talking about, you know, you know, acing the SATs and Einstein's theory of relatives. Um, you mean relativity? Shut up, sucker. And we got Booker T versus Edge, the battle of the Japanese shampoo spokesman. Well, you had to you had to get the hometown boy on the card somehow. Edge, who grew up in nearby Orangeville, just outside of Toronto, not too far from me where I live now. And he's finally performing, realizing his dream of being at a hometown WrestleMania. Now, he was a young fan, a young man, when um, Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan clashed at WrestleMania 6. Now he's here. Full circle, Nate. Another example. Ha! You know, I personally would have rather had him been in the Intercontinental title match, but since RVD was getting rocket-strapped, and getting super mega over during this time, I'll give it a pass. It's okay. Uh, Edge, you know, doesn't Edge Rooney. He wins with the Education DDT and a nice, you know, it's a classic hometown babyface versus cocky heel match. Decent, not not anyone's best, but Toronto needed something for the hometown boy, especially after other hometown boy Christian disowns the city and decides to be from Tampa, where he actually lives, I think. So, yeah, not bad. Backstage, the Hurricane and Mighty Molly are being interviewed, and Molly comes into picture, holding a frying pan behind her back, quick, to the Hurricycle, and then clocks Helms with it, and wins the hardcore title. Molly's the hardcore champion. Hey, Hurricane, uh, next time take your frying pan antidote. And next we have uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Scott Hall, the Texas Rattlesnake versus the bad guy. Now, I wish I was more excited to talk about this because this is where Austin was burning out and I, I was a, a mark for him forever. Like I think since WrestleMania 13. And this is the first time since that pay-per-view he wasn't involved in in a major match. It's the first time since WrestleMania 14 he wasn't involved in the world title picture. It was strange seeing him this early in the pay-per-view because I'm so used to seeing him on top. And he comes out, he gets a decent pop, but it's nowhere near his peak, nowhere near his best. I mean, I vividly recall a Raw in 1999 at the Sky Dome where Austin got one of the loudest pops I've ever heard. Just about as loud as one would, as he would get in his hometown. I wasn't there, but if my bedroom TV on mute could still make it loud, because remember when mute didn't really mute TV sometimes, then you know he's popular. So Scott Hall comes out with fellow outsider Kevin Nash to that iconic NWO theme, and just to say, the NWO was huge in my neck of the woods, like. Me, my brother, my cousin, we had NWO shirts, and it was one of my first pieces of wrestling merch ever. 
Uh, right away, Austin is on the attack, gets the Fez press. He rams Scott Hall's head into the turnbuckle 10 times, getting a what every time back when the what chants were relevant and funny and not annoying and rude. Uh, but the what chants still give me nostalgia, but today, frig off. On the outside, Austin hits Nash and rams Hall's head into the steps. Hall hits his follow-away slam, or as Stuart Brooks from the New Generation Project podcast eloquently calls it, the sack of shit. Stuart, I hope you're doing well, brother. Big shout-out to you. You know, Nash comes in and gets a cheap shot. Austin throws a bunch of punches, uh, hits a Stone Cold Stunner. And then Nash pulls the referee out of the ring and hits him. All right, that's it. Disqualification. What? No DQ? Since when? Nash <clears throat> enters the ring and nails Austin. And then Austin hits the low blow to the big man. Austin hits another stunner with no ref in sight. Jack, <coughs> Jack Doan finally arrives for the count. But Nash elbow drops him in the back, drawing a disqualification. What, really? No? Again? Austin gets Nash out of the ring, and a bunch of referees come out to eject him. Scott Hall tries to join him, but <clears throat> Austin throws Scott Hall back into the ring, but Scott Hall presses A and B and no mercy and hits a stunner of his own. Austin kicks out. Austin hits another stunner, and then Scott Hall was still standing, hilariously selling it. Austin grabs the head. Boom! One more stunner with steak on it, and that's it. Uh, the crowd was hot for the finish and Austin winning, but this wasn't their best outing. Um, he was rightfully frustrated with his spot on the card. Uh, and he was just burning out at this point in time. He needed time off and it wouldn't be long until he took his ball and went home and then full circle, Nate, take a shot. WrestleMania 19 would be his final match as an in-ring competitor. And yeah, it sucks. I mean, I was a huge, huge Austin fan forever. And this one was just, uh, uh, yeah, meh. Speaking of meh, we have the Tag Team Championship Fatal 4 Elimination Match with Billy and Chuck defending against the APA, the Hardy Boys, and the Dudley Boys with Stacey Keebler. And I'm going to get through this match as quickly and as painlessly as possible because this match sucked. But what didn't suck was Saliva playing the Dudley Boys to the ring with their awesome Get the Table song. Followed by the cringe that is You Look So Good to Me, the theme song of Billy Gunn and Chuck Palumbo and Rico, who wasn't at this uh, pay-per-view. They were paired up because Universe Mode was having some fun, and then they were turned into these bleach-blonde, pseudo-homosexual bromance team. Strange, and actually kind of offensive with 2019 eyes, but 2002, bear with me. We were using every word in the dictionary to insult this team. The F word, the G word, the H word, all of them. And I'm going to apologize for that and move on. The tag team division is it was just hurting here, which got worse with the brand split. Each of these teams by the end of the year will be split up, although one of them will be brought back together at the end of the year. 
Yeah. So APA was the first team eliminated after a failed clothesline from hell, and they get a 3D. Jeff removes his shirt to the moisture to the female moisture of the crowd. Stacy comes up on the ring and rides her shorts up, giving the men a little bit of that. Uh exposing her butt. Riding her short G-string, you know. Eh, nice butt. So nice that Jeff slapped it really hard and then gave her a big smooch. Aw, what a sweetie. And then you see in the ring, you know, extreme combination, twist the fate swanton to Bubba Ray. Uh, Devon was about to go for a was up just before this and is sent through a table set on the outside. You know, Bubba get yeah, Bubba gets swanton to we're down to two teams, Hardy's and Billy and Chuck. Uh, with referee distracted, Gunn hits the Famouser on Jeff for a two count. And then another ref spot, Gil- Billy clocks Jeff with the tag belt and the champs retain. Uh, yeah, pretty nothing match. Billy and Chuck got some heat because the fans loved the other teams. And we have backstage the NWO being upset about losing to Steve Austin. They wanted to take this aggression out on The Rock, but Hogan walks in to a huge pop and says he wants to go alone. Um, And then the hardcore title plunder continues with Molly Holly running away backstage and running into a slam door, which was slammed on her by Christian who covers Molly for the hardcore title. The creepy little bastard is walking out of Toronto with a title after all. (sighs) Next. Oh boy. Here we go. Hulk Hogan versus the rock. Now, Hulk Hogan is a racist piece of shit. I hope I never see him on WWE programming ever again, as long as he lives. Although I know he's going to be, because the WWE is stupid sometimes. So, I'm going to look at this now in 2002 eyes. Because this match can't be ignored. It can't be understated how electric the atmosphere was how crazy the crowd was during this time i me talking about it can't can't do it justice just stop listening to me right now and go watch this match and then tweet me about it at the legendary jf how good it was um so everything hogan does here he gets a pop and everything the rock does gets heat uh the hulkster he was mega popular in my neck of the woods up here in in Ontario, oh, he was mega popular, especially during the NWO days. The amount of NWO shirts I used to see just out in public, he, it made liking heels and wrestling cool. It, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, so we, we get in, you know, they lock up. Hulk Hogan throws the rock down and poses because Hogan must pose, pal. And we get all the mind games. He asks The Rock to bring it. And bring it, The Rock does. Knocking Hogan down. And his bandana. Which I almost... Which I spelled in my notes as banana. I almost got confused and horrified at the same time. Because I don't want to picture Hulk Hogan's banana. Uh, the Rock hits his punch-taunt combo. Hits a clothesline. Charts for a rock bottom. But Hogan elbows him in the back of the head. You know, The Rock takes Hogan down. Hogan makes a comeback with a back suplex. They get they get into the outside and brawl around for a while. 
and back in the ring. The ref gets bumped, and he takes a nap. The Rock locks in his terrible shark shooter, and Hogan taps out, but no ref. So like Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, if the tap out happens with no ref, does the tap out actually happen? Does a bear shit in the woods? <clears throat> so Hogan gets a low blow, gets a thunderous ovation. Rocky sucks chance start raining down. Hogan hits a rock bottom, gets a two count, and then Hope and then Hogan gets gets his belt off and just starts just starts whipping him with it. Uh we see, you know, Rock hit a DDT. The ref was still not to his feet. Uh, and, you know, we see Rock getting Hogan's belt and hitting him. And there's no DQ here. Okay. Then we have Rock bottom. Rock Rock covers. Ref counts the pin. Hulk Hogan kicks out. And, oh, my God, he's hulking up. The crowd goes wild is an understatement. A huge ovation. Hogan does the classic waving the finger in his face, hits the three punches, the big boot, atomic leg drop, one, two, no, no, Rock kicks out. JR with his great reaction, my God, the Rock kicked out. Rock, Rock hits, you know, there's another big boot. Hogan hits another big boot, the leg drop missed this time, Rock bottom. Another rock bottom, a kip up, people's elbow to a to a great ovation, and the rock wins this match. The crowd comes back around, full circle, take a shot, Nate, and wins. This was phenomenal. I mean, the the wrestling wasn't good, but in terms of emotion, electricity, reactions, it was just classic great pro wrestling we have after the match hogan extends his hand the rock shakes it and hogan tells him to start posing or no i mean i'm sorry and then it's just hey you know what uh the rock gives him a moment in the ring hall and nash come out and hall throws a toothpick in hogan's face and then they attack they double team hogan the rock comes back he clones like he clotheslines Nash out of the ring. They throw Hall out of the ring. They're gone, and yeah, they're just H- Hogan was going to leave, and The Rock told him to stay in the ring to do his poses. Hogan does the classic ear cupping, the flexing. The Rock encourages him to do some more, and I mean, I mean, he could have done it to Hulk Hogan's theme here, but. The response was still huge. Ross and Lawler just made this iconic even more. Speaking of iconic, we have an announced announced attendance record for the Skydome, which still stands today of 68,237 people. Now, the Toronto Blue Jays of Major League Baseball, they can hold at most just under 50,000 people which I think the record for that was set in, it was 2014 or 2015, the American League Championship Series, Game 5 against the Texas Stars. You know, that infamous bat flip game. Uh, Jays fans, you know what I'm talking about. Jose Bautista, bat flip. Um, truly an iconic moment. Nowhere near as iconic as Joe Carter's walk-off home run for the for the World Series win. 
but I'll give it that. Go Blue Jays. Um, so in the next, we have the women's title match. Jazz versus hometown hero Trish Stratus versus Lita. Trish comes out with a Canadian flag on the butt of her shorts, to which, you know, King calls the cutest Canadian Maple Leaf ever. And, you know, Trish comes out to a generic rock theme, which was still better than her shit little Kim. <laughs> it's time to rock and roll theme. No, garbage. Little Kim sucks. Straight up. No, no. <clears throat> Anyways, we have Trish and Lita, who were pretty sloppy in the ring. You know, Lita was, she was probably getting getting through some, some injuries here. Uh, Trish was still relatively green. Uh, it's, there's nothing really to go through in this match except, you know, Jazz, who was a polished veteran, or at least wrestled like one. She was she was top-notch. Um, she wins uh, with a fisherman, a top-rope fisherman suplex on Lita for the win. There's not much of a reaction, but eh, yeah, okay. Uh, this You had to follow Rock and Hogan. I mean, this... Ugh. I'm disappointed Trish didn't win for her hometown. Because, you know, she was going to be the focus of the women's division for the next little while after this. Uh, yeah, it, it was nothing. I mean, if they had to put something after Rock and Hogan, it sure as hell wasn't going to be this next match. Um, but before we get to that next match, we have Christian was shown leaving the building with the hardcore title. He puts his bag in the back of a car. Maven attacks him from behind, rolls him up, and covers him for the win, taking back the hardcore title he walked into WrestleMania with and left with Christian's taxi. Christian throws another temper tantrum, and that's it for the hardcore title for the night. And before I, t- before I cover the main event, we're going to take one last non-commercial commercial break. Stay tuned. And it's time for the main event of the evening, the Undisputed Championship. Chris Jericho defending against challenger and winner of the 2002 Royal Rumble, Triple H. Now, a lot of this match also was dealing with the Stephanie McMahon feud with with Triple H. Um, You know, after Triple H returned and Stephanie McMahon is like, they just, you know, had a little bit of a rough patch in their relationship. And uh, Stephanie announces that she's pregnant. And then they're going to renew their wedding vows on Raw. And then, you know, Linda lets lets Hunter know that, you know, she's not pregnant. Uh, the pregnancy was fake. It was just a way for her to get attention. I, I don't know. And then she leaves, Triple H leaves her at the altar. I think she eats a pedigree. I, I, I don't remember. Uh, I didn't want to look in because this feud was just boring i mean i've never been a big triple h fan i like him today as you know the papa h you know nxt nxt guy i love that triple h i hated wrestler heel prissy sissy evolution dx triple h i wasn't even a big fan of babyface i just came back from a terror quad triple h so i'm gonna go through this as enthusiastically as I possibly cannot. Um, Drowning Pool plays Triple H's The Game Song to the ring. Um, 
not not as good as as Lemmy, but at least um, Dave Williams knew the words because uh, Lemmy was just infamous for not knowing the words of this. Um, the only problem with this is he couldn't really hear the crowd because you know Hunter's coming back from his quad injury and he looked he looked like a monster here. This is his comeback. This is his uh, this is his moment. Uh, Jericho entered the ring with the WWF title and the WCW title, which I have. And he'd been carrying both belts around since the end of 2002 when he infamously beat The Rock and Steve Austin in the same night. Yeah, with interference and screwy finishes. Do you remember that, Chris? So Hunter had his left legs taped up, selling his um, his injury. He hits you know, his, his patented running knee and sold the, the injury, you know, Jericho dumps him on the floor. Hunter gets on the apron and threw Jericho in the security wall, suplex on the floor. You know, Hunter clears off the Spanish announce table. And then, you know, we have Earl Hebner beginning a very slow count in the ring. Jericho kinking, kicking Hunter in the back of the leg, the crowd, not making a lot of noise because it's the end of the night. Everyone wants to get home. The Don Valley Parkway, the 401, the 400, after a Skydome event, this city is hell. Traffic sucks. Nowhere near as bad as LA traffic, but up here, Toronto traffic, it eats a dick. Like, no. So we hit, you know, we we get all we got all the spots here. Um Stephanie you know, raking her fingers in Hunter's eyes. We see, you know, Hunter grabbing Stephanie by the hair. Jericho charges in. Uh, you know, Hunter knocks, I mean, no, Hunter moves out of the way, that which knocks Stephanie off the apron. Uh, he was about to go f- to pedigree Stephanie, but Jericho hits a missile drop kick, and the crowd was going to pop for the Hunter Stephanie stuff, so that's something. You know, we see Jericho continue to work the knee and the crowd not really give much of a crap. Uh, we see the ring post figure four. We see, you know, Chris Jericho. He, he's working the knee the whole time. Uh, he And then Jericho n- clears off the English announce table and goes for the walls of Jericho on the table, which happened the night of the quad tear. Uh, but Hunter went for a pedigree and Jericho backdropped him Sending Hunter crashing to the Spanish announce table. You see that? Now you don't you don't try to outdo the Spanish announce table because they will get you every time. They will steal the show. Uh, back in the ring, Jericho hits a lion salt, and Jr. is freaking out about Hunter kicking out of that move. You know the crowd doesn't really care. We see the walls of Jericho going for it again. Hunter kicks out of it. Nails a pedigree, goes for the pedigree, but Jericho hits him in the knee. Uh, Jericho locks in the walls, although it looked more like his non-knee-to-the-back Boston Crab version. Uh, we could hear Chris Jericho yelling, ask him, ask him, you know, for Hunter to give up. Hunter makes it to the ropes. Jericho gets a chair. Stephanie distracted Earl Hebner. And Hunter gives Jericho a DDT on the chair. Hmm, comeuppance. It gets a two. Stephanie comes into the ring. Hebner takes the chair. 
she shoves Earl Hebner and is grabbed by the hair by Triple H and puts her between the legs. Giggity. Um, hits the pedigree on Stephanie, which draw, which draws the pop of the match, finally waking up the crowd. Uh, Hunter gives Jericho the pedigree, and he wins the undisputed championship after the quad tear, after winning the Rumble. And Triple H, he gets a decent pop, but I think this was the end of the night. People were tired, especially after that Rock and Hogan match. Um, this wasn't Hunter and Jericho's best match. You know, um, Fully Loaded 2000, Last Man Standing is one I'd recommend. Even that one they did on Monday Night Raw in 2000, where Jericho won the title for five minutes. Um, you know, JR puts over Triple H, how tough he was and displaying all this heart on his way to the victory. And there we go. Uh, that's WrestleMania X eight. Uh, I'd say it was, it wasn't an enjoyable show. It was good. It was still, you know, it was, it was still decent attitude era WWE. A lot of people would argue that the attitude era ended after X7 in 2001. But my opinion, I think it didn't end until uh, around this time, maybe just before the brand split, whenever the WWF became the WWE. Thanks, World Wildlife Fund. <laughs> so, on the horizon, this coming Thursday, which is the 21st of March, I will be reviewing WrestleMania 20 with good brother Nate the F and Great over on his Game Changer podcast. Uh, we will be, yeah, we'll be covering that show um, on on my show here. I'm going to try to get through some more WrestleManias. Maybe I'll do like a top ten ish WrestleMania matches uh, on the blog on Rant with Ann. I'm going. I'm actually doing this very show i'm actually going to be writing about wrestlemania x8 as well as i'm kind of working on a uh, a kurt angle retrospective because uh, as we know kurt angle announced that uh wrestlemania 35 is going to be his last match we don't know who it's going to be against um there are speculations about john cena about um about even shelton benjamin uh we don't know whatever it is it'll be good oh and Nate, uh, Nate, you um, you invited me to be a part of the Game Changer Network, and my answer is 